It's my privilege this morning to bring um, God's message from um, Philippians chapter 1, and I'm really grateful for Hermie uh, for reading the passage for us. I've entitled this talk, Three Anchors. There is a story, uh, a famous story, about one of the students at a prestigious naval academy in England. A famous admiral who would visit the academy would like to test out the new recruits. He would bark out questions at the students in order to discover whether they were ready for the challenges of commanding a ship at sea. On one occasion, he stood in front of one of the new students and barked, what would you do if a storm blew up at sea? The student replied, lower the anchor, sir. And then the admiral said, what would you do if that anchor broke and another storm blew up? The student replied, lower another anchor, sir. And then the admiral asked, and what would you do if that anchor broke and a third storm blew up? And the student replied, lower another anchor, sir. And the admiral barked at him, and tell me, where are you getting all these anchors from? And the student replied, from the same place you're getting all the storms from, sir. We all need an anchor or two or three for the storms of life. And Paul, who writes this letter to the church in Philippi, has endured many storms in his life, literally and metaphorically but he always had an anchor to hold him steadfast. The Lord Jesus Christ, his savior. And as he writes this letter, he is in prison and he's nearing the end of his life. And he writes to the church in Philippi because news has reached him about the challenges and the storms that the church in Philippi are facing. And he writes to them this last letter to a church. He writes other letters to individuals later, but this is the last letter he writes to a church. And he writes to encourage them to hold fast, to know that they have enough anchors for every storm. And as he writes to them, he prays for them. It is a wonderful letter, it's a very affectionate letter. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And joy is a recurring theme in this letter of Paul's. Joy is something that is deep. It's deeper than pleasure, it's deeper than happiness. C.S. Lewis, in his book called Surprised by Joy, contrasts these three things. Pleasure, he says, is fleeting. It's here one moment and gone the next. And we understand that. We, we can find pleasure in, in a bar of chocolate. We can find pleasure in a holiday or even the thoughts of a holiday. But pleasure is over very quickly. Happiness is wonderful. We all want to live happy lives. But happiness is often dependent upon the circumstances of our lives. It changes with what happens to us. It can be shattered by life's experiences. But joy is different, he says. 
In Jesus, we have found something deeper than just pleasure or happiness. It's that deep sense of trust, a deep sense of security in God that nothing can touch it. It doesn't depend on our circumstances or feelings, but it stands on that rock of God's love for us. It stands on that rock of our relationship with God, the promises of God, the presence of God with us in those circumstances. It is an anchor to our soul. In studying this passage this week, I've picked up on three other anchors for our soul. God's faithfulness, God's love, and God's power. Now, in this past year, uh, today, it's, it's a year since we started recording online services. And in this past year, we've all been through a storm or two or three. But we have an anchor for every storm that we face. The first anchor that I want to pick out of this passage is God's faithfulness. That God is a finisher. God has promised that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He has said to us in his word that he works all things for our good. He has promised that he will present us before his glorious throne one day without fault and with great joy. It's true. And Paul prays for the church as he writes, and he prays with thanksgiving for their partnership in the gospel. He says, from the very first day until now, they have been partners in the gospel. So being confident of this, says Paul, he is confident that he who began a good work in them will carry on to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. He knows that he is part of a big team, the church of Jesus Christ. And I love that term finisher. Now, I've, I'm an avid rugby fan. I love to watch the Six Nations. And I was quite taken a while ago when um, the manager of the England team, Eddie Jones, uh, changed the name of the substitutes or the replacements. And he began to call them finishers because that was their job to finish the game. On a big scale, a cosmic scale, God is a finisher. He always finishes what he begins. He always completes what he starts. Nothing is left half done. Nothing is half finished. Nothing is abandoned. We see this in creation. He started it and he finished it and then he rested and he said it was good. We are made in his image. And that image has been marred by sin and the fall and the presence of evil in our world. And all of us have gone astray, the Bible says. But God is committed to us, to finishing that work that he began in us. And with the coming of Jesus and with his death on the cross for us, a new creation has begun and he will finish it. Sin has been paid for on the cross. Evil has been vanquished. And that new creation that we are part of by faith in Jesus Christ will come to completion. That when God stepped in, in Jesus, through his death and resurrection, the whole of creation 
has begun to be renewed and will be restored. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, he actually shouted, it is finished. It was one of his last cries. He had finished what he had come to do, to give his life for us, that we might be with him in eternity. Sin was paid for. Atonement had been made. That gap had been bridged by his love. And when Jesus comes again, as he promises, all suffering will end. There will be no more. All evil will be dealt with. There will be no more. All injustice will be put right. Death, sickness, pain will all be gone. And he will say, behold, I make all things new. God is a finisher. And he has promised that we will be like him. And every day we get nearer to that day. So Paul, as he prays, he gives thanks for that partnership that he has with the Philippians in the gospel. And I thank God every day for this church. I've been privileged to be part of these past 25 years. I thank God for all of you, for the partnership that we have in the gospel. That, that word partnership means we all have a part to play. We're a team, God's rescue team. We need each other and the world needs us. I give thanks for all that we've seen that God has done among us. And make no mistake, God has done something here. There's no other explanation for it. A church that closed once and a church that had got down just to a few members, God revived. We've seen people saved and are being saved. We've seen churches planted. We've seen people sent out on mission and into ministry all over the world from this tiny church in the Cotswolds. Only God can do that. And God has been faithful. God is faithful. And God is a finisher. And there's a real encouragement for any of us who don't feel we're the finished article yet. God will complete that work that he's begun in us. So take heart. God is faithful. God is a finisher. Let that be an anchor for your soul today. The second anchor is God's love. It never fails. We are loved by God. And the proof of that is the cross. Both Edward and I trained at a Bible college called <coughs> Spurgeon's College. And it had a great um, stained glass window with the symbol of the college, a hand holding on to the cross. And the words, I hold and I am held, well, in Latin, etenio, etenior. The love of God holds us. And Paul says, as he writes to the Philippians, I have you in my heart. He loves the church in Philippi. And Paul's heart has been changed. He has a new heart. Elsewhere, Paul writes in one of his letters, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Paul knows what he's talking about. He wasn't always called Paul. He was once called Saul and he had set out to stamp out the early church. But now his heart has changed and it's filled with love for Jesus and his church. Paul is a new creation. 
He has God on the inside. He has been transformed, reformed. This power of God and the love of God does something unique. It says something unique about the Christian life. Every other ethical system or religion that I've ever studied calls us to become, with costly effort, something that we are not. If we try harder, if we do better, if we, if we earn it. But Jesus calls us to be who we really are in him. He's our creator. We were made by him, for him, in his likeness. And we are being remade for his glory. And this love that he lavishes upon us is not earned or merited. We are just loved. It's a gift. Forgiven. And all this received by simple faith. It's all his grace. And we all share in that grace. Paul says, I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. This love is not sentimental or gushy. It's not superficial or skin deep. This love is so deep, so wide, so high, so long. It's Christ's love. What does love look like? We may have all sorts of answers for that. We live in an age where people are very confused by what love is. We have Love Island love, that skin-deep kind of love. But I remember reading um, an article by Malcolm Muggeridge, who described his first meeting with Mother Teresa. He said these words, When I first set my eyes on her, at once I realised that I was in the presence of someone special. It wasn't due to her appearance, which was homely and unassuming, and such words as charm or charisma didn't apply, although she had a lovely smile and a ready laugh. But he says what came to his mind was the phrase, the beauty of holiness. This woman had a special beauty amounting to a kind of pervasive luminosity, he writes, generated by a love and a life dedicated to God and to loving others. If you want to know what love looks like, it looks like Jesus. And this is my prayer, says Paul, that your love may abound more and more. He prays that their love, that he has experienced in their kindness to him, that has sustained him, he prays that it may abound more and more. He knows that they're not a perfect church and will come across that further on in the letter where he has to address certain issues but he is so grateful for the love that he sees in the church and for us too that's our prayer too that our love may abound more and more one of the privileges of being part of a local church is that we see God's love in action every day Christ's love compels us in the big things and the small the small acts of kindness every day, the, the thoughtfulness, the prayerfulness, those kind acts and deeds. It's the one anotherness of being in a local church. But I'm delighted that every week, out of love, those in crisis in our community are served with essentials every week through the food bank. 
Over the years, we've had the joy of seeing strangers come to our church and be welcomed, befriended, helped, even housed, fought for and provided for. The hurting have come and been healed and restored. Some have just passed through for a season and have felt and seen the love of God in action. And I've had the privilege as a pastor of receiving letters of thanks from such people who have experienced the love of God through his people. It was out of love that we planted churches. We could have stayed as one church and tried to become a really big church, but we knew that it was better to give than to receive. I remember when we first planted the church at Shipston in Stow Valley Baptist Church. I was away for those first few weeks with the church plant and we invited a minister called Brian Butcher to come and speak. And Hermie remembers that his first message was on that phrase, it's better to give than to receive. These are not small things, but these things in the big and the small reveal that Jesus is with us. His love is here. And it's his love that can hold us in every circumstance. Whatever we're going through, whether it's a real storm of life right now, his love is an anchor for us. No, we're not perfect yet. And may our love abound more and more. And the third anchor is the power of God. God is able. God is stronger than any storm we might face and he is able to keep us. I was uh, watching Songs of Praise the other week and Pete Gregg from the Prayer 24-7 movement was on. And he was just talking about prayer and he said that, you know, sometimes in prayer we want to be airlifted out of a situation. But he said that often doesn't happen. But what he did say was that God always parachutes in. He is always with us in those circumstances. Paul had seen the power of God. That church in Philippi had been founded on an extraordinary display of God's power. There was no other explanation for it. Paul knew he'd been guided to Philippi, clearly by God, because he had been headed in a different direction. He wanted to take the gospel to Asia, but he, God stopped him. He wanted to take it to Bithynia, but God stopped him and guided him toward Macedonia. And within a few days, it's remarkable to think that Paul was only in Philippi a few days and the church was established. That partnership in the gospel from the very first day when Lydia, that businesswoman who he met by the river, a seeker of God who didn't know who Jesus was, came to know Jesus and opened her heart and her home to the gospel. How God set that slave girl free from a demonic oppression and the jailer, Paul and Silas, were in prison in Philippi. There had been an uproar about what they had been doing. And the jailer who had fastened the chains to them and fastened their feet to the stocks within hours is bathing Paul's wounded feet and asking him how he can be saved and then is later baptised. That is supernatural. Love is is our restored nature in Christ. And it's only the power of God that can do that. I love to hear testimonies from God's people. 
whether they're about big things or small things, because it just shows me that God is at work, his power is at work, and that power can be an anchor for our souls. I'm thankful for every life that we've seen transformed and reformed by Jesus through the witness of this church. One of the greatest joys of my life is to see people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than that. To see people healed and set free. And when God comes in power, everything changes because our hearts are changed, our hopes are changed, our futures are changed. God did something in Philippi and God has done something here in Chipping Camden and he continues to do it and he promises that he will complete it. So for every storm, we have an anchor. And Paul prays that the church there may be filled with the fruit of righteousness, that they may have complete knowledge and understanding of God's love for them. Jesus reminds us that he has chosen us to bear fruit, fruit that will last to the glory of and praise of God. So we can be confident, whatever our situation right now, that we have enough anchors for all the storms that may come against us. That he who began a good work in you and me will complete it. We can be confident that we are loved by God. We can be confident in the power of the God who saved us. He is with us. So as we look to the future and with a little bit of uncertainty, we don't know uh, what is quite gonna happen. We put our trust in God, the finisher. In God, the one who never fails. In God, who loves us and whose power is able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious throne without fault and with great joy. To him be all the glory, honor and praise. Amen.